Welcome to the Thought Leaders Podcast. We discuss what's trending in the online sphere. From podcast ad tech to the explosion of gaming, we sit down with experts in the field who share their experiences, successes, setbacks, and tips for anyone who wants to understand more about the world of digital content. All right, we are joined today with an awesome guest, Phil Ranta, the CEO of Wormhole Labs. Phil, I've been really excited to get the opportunity to talk to you. Um, big fan of you on LinkedIn and everything that you're doing to keep me up to speed on the industry. And when I say the industry, I mean multiple industries. You seem like the guy who knows a lot about a lot of things. So we have a lot to talk about today. Thank you very much for joining us. David, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So, Phil, before we get into it too much, uh, can you just give everyone a quick background on on what you've been up to these past 10 years? Oh, yeah, geez. Um, 10 years, that's a, that's a long window. But uh, So I've spent my career working at the intersection of entertainment and technology, um, mostly on social platforms. So 15 years ago, I was doing MySpace profiles for brands and mobisodes for verizon so i've gone through all the way through ringtone uh ringtone and wallpaper revolution on mobile all the way through the influencer revolution um where my career really started to take off was in 2012 i was one of the first employees at a company called full screen um, which was a very early what we called multi-channel network at that time where we started working with youtube influencers um, to manage their careers, grow them on social platforms, and kind of use their collective bargaining to do larger sales. Um, and that company had a very splashy growth and exit. And I joined uh, Studio 71 as the COO, which was also a multi-channel network working with YouTubers, a little more high-end YouTubers, and brought that through exit to ProSieben. Then I jumped into game streaming over at Mob Crush, and then I became the head of gaming creators over at Facebook where I got to work with and sign Ronda Rousey and Disguised Toast and a few others there. And then I left Facebook Gaming for my current position where I'm the CEO at Wormhole Labs, which is a user-generated metaverse company. So I feel like I've always kind of lived on that cutting edge of new technologies, hockey-sticking markets, especially as Mark Zuckerberg a couple weeks ago came out and said that Facebook is becoming a metaverse company. I sit in a really interesting place now as somebody who just left Facebook uh, about a year ago to run a metaverse company. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a ride. It definitely sounds like it. That's a, the who's who's list of every you know company that's been really in the middle of the changing creator landscape. And why ask for the last 10 years? I mean, it just the creator landscape has just been on fire since then. And you've been deep in the middle of it. A lot to unpack and, and basically your career path up until now. But the thing that jumps out to me is is you said a few times the metaverse, right? And you joined a, a metaverse company and you're now building out the metaverse. What is your definition of the metaverse? So I consider a metaverse to be a navigable virtual world with social components that you can navigate as an avatar. So this could be anything from games that have social elements built into it like roblox or fortnite or minecraft or among us all the way to a fully virtualized layer on top of the real world like we're doing at wormhole or what a lot of ar vr and xr companies are trying to do so it's essentially this concept that in the future we're going to be able to live inside of a virtual space to meet chat shop play date 
play games, you know, um, kind of like Ready Player One. You led me right into my next question, which is that the future that we're heading towards? That there will be this kind of Oasis-like um, single destination metaverse? Or will it be what the environment kind of looks like today, where there's many different companies, each attacking it from a kind of different angle? I think there's going to be many metaverse companies. I kind of look at it like dating apps, right? It's like all dating apps have the same ends or at least similar ends, right? Some of them might approach it from a different angle, right? Some might be, I'm going to find someone I marry. Some might be, I'm looking for a hookup, but there's kind of a spectrum there. Um, but they just come about it from different angles, and those different angles will feed what the person wants more. Like, do they want simplicity? Do they want a deeper dive? Do they want more exclusivity? Do they want more choice? Do they want more attention? The dynamics of the metaverses are going to be, you know, there's going to be a few mainstream ones that are going to be kind of like your social networks, like your Facebook, your Pinterest, your Snapchat. And then there's probably going to be more niche ones that are going to feed specific things like is there going to be a metaverse where everybody is an animal? Is there going to be ones with more like gaming features and less social features? I think that there's going to be thousands and thousands of metaverse in the future, but through those will arise a few massive ones that are going to become ubiquitous where everybody's going to be part of one metaverse, but they might not spend as much time there. It seems like some companies are going for the more platform metaverse as a platform approach, if you will, where they're kind of giving this platform and then leaving it up to people themselves to build what they want inside of it. To your example, I guess that would be, all right, I will build my own Minecraft server that is like this or, um, or, or take a specific direction within it. How are you guys looking at that? Yeah, I mean, that's the reason why we decided that we were going to build an entirely user-generated metaverse. So everything from the environments to the the videos that are placed inside, everything's user-generated, much like Facebook is an entirely user-generated social network, right? Like the feed would be empty if not for the people. The reason why we're taking that approach is because there's good, there's a lot of companies out there like Fortnite or even Roblox where it's, yeah, it's user-generated, but it's, it takes quite a technical lift in order to build those environments. Mm. The dynamism of the real world, I think, is enough, right? Like. Being able to say, oh, Coachella's going on, I want to enter this metaverse, wormhole over to Coachella as my avatar, and see what content people are developing, and chat with people that are actually there, and through voice chat or text chat, right? Like, to me, that's really, really valuable and interesting, and it's something that can never be replicated by a developer, right? I love games that are MMORPGs, like, or open world, like, Fallout where you're talking to these NPCs and they've got really interesting stuff to say. I think that those worlds are going to have a real use in the future. But when you're looking for the kind of how do you gain that ubiquity, I think that you have to have real world impact, right? I have to be able to go to the Champs-Élysées and walk down the street and shop. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to like go into the World Cup and see what's happening there or my favorite WWE event and see what's happening there. So we want to capture that and let other people build those really interesting metaverses that are more virtualized. So can you explain what exactly you guys have built? Yeah, absolutely. So what we built as a platform that acts as a layer on top of the real world. So using AR and location-based services, I can generate locations by holding up my smart device and spinning around in a circle and creating what we call a smart bubble, which is a 
imagery of a location that's linked to a actual spatial location um, that also brings in all the ambient data. So if somebody, say, shot a video through Wormhole there, it brings that in as an interactive element. Or if people are already there as avatars, they become interactive elements. And then within this kind of lively world that was created through that smart bubble, people can voice chat, people can text chat, people can become friends. Brands can drop in shoppable links. You can make any video shoppable as well. Um, and we're just continuing to build out interesting layers on top of that where people can have different points of interactivity by navigating smart bubble to smart bubble through this world. This is so cool. It, I mean, it really feels like the, the future as you're describing it. We certainly hope so, yeah. I mean, this is the funny thing when you're building bleeding-edge tech is I told you a lot about my successes in my career. I conveniently left off some of the failures, right? <laughs> and the reason why is because when you're doing really cutting-edge tech that you know is the future, there's a lot of competition because other futurists know that, that the way things are heading, right? So they're going to compete with you. And also you can have the problem of being too early. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why we built out on smart devices first instead of, say, AR glasses. Even though we know that's an inevitable part of the future, we wanted to build for the now so that we can see if we can build a little bit of ubiquity and scale now. So we're taking the best crack that we can at it. We know there's a lot of other smart people that are out there, and hopefully we nail it. I always tell the story that I started a podcast network in 2011 called Comedy Podcast Network. Everyone thought that I was an idiot. They said, like, oh, podcasts already had their day from 2005 to 2008. Video is where it's going. Why would you do this? And the truth is, believe it or not, I was early, right? Yeah, like podcast absolutely. networks were a 2014 to now kind of thing. And I couldn't get any advertisers on board. And I couldn't get any premium podcasts to get excited about getting advertised on board. And, you know, like we, you, you can't really define that stuff. So all we can do is build out the best technology platform we can and go to market in the smartest way and see see where the chips land. So it sounds like that's a really tough challenge for you to kind of, you need to be building cutting edge technology, stuff that no one else has built or no one else has successfully done yet, at the same time as finding the right place to, to not go too advanced, to go after a large enough market, if yeah. you will. So it sounds like your, yeah. your decisions there have been, we're going to go, we're not going to build hardware, let's say. We're going to use um, phones, smartphones today, and we're going to build uh, the software and the application, and that's where the cutting-edge tech is? Yes, absolutely. And frankly, coronavirus has been a pretty big blocker for us. So mm. I joined Wormhole Labs about a month before the whole world locked down. Oh, wow. And at that point, we said, okay, maybe this will last three months if you look at what our technology really does, it's about being out in the world. Mm -hmm. It's about going to big events and having those kind of people at big events making content for you so in the real world you can drop in, right? When the lockdown started happening, we all had to take a, a hard look in the mirror and say, well, how does Wormhole exist in a COVID world? Because this could go on for a long time, which ended up being true. So our first product that we brought out to market is actually a real estate application for virtual open housing because we thought that it would be both insensitive and dangerous to put out a kind of events extension thing and encourage people to go to a big events during coronavirus. So we have that built. We still plan on doing a full go to market with our B2C play, but right now we've got really interesting B2B applications that we're building out for 
real estate, travel, and retail. Wow, that's an unbelievable pivot. How long did that take to be able to make those decisions and, and actually get something out? The decision was made pretty quickly. We made it summer of last year because we were planning on doing a full B2C release summer of last year. And we just went, that, this yeah. isn't happening, right? Coronavirus isn't going away. Um, but then in order to build out what we think needed, the features we needed in order to fully address the B2B market, it took about nine months of going back and talking to our investors and saying, look, we have to pivot and this is the direction we're pivoting to and it's still smart and we're still able to do our B2C thing in the future, so don't worry about it. It was a lot of really hard conversations because a lot of investors want, they invest in to follow the current roadmap. And when you start deviating from the roadmap, they go, whoa, 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 wait a second. I thought the billion dollars was going to come at the end of this year. You're telling me that we have to wait a year? And we're like, yes, you have, sometimes you have to wait a year. Ultimately, I think it was the right move. We built out the right product for B2B. It helped us strengthen our B2C product as well. And now we're ready with both. So we've got some really interesting customers in the pipeline for B2B. And we think that this is going to be a really interesting tool for them as well. So how has it been going with the, with the B2B launch? Really good. We're in very deep discussions with a lot of real estate companies. The feedback has been wonderful. As you know, real estate's a really hot market for VCs and for exits and for all of that. Um, there's a lot of real problems happening in that market, especially with kind of modernization of how things are done. We're still kind of in the 90s in terms of real estate technology, right? It's a lot of listing services and, you know, it's a lot of feeds and stock photography and the idea of being able to turn any open house very, very easily and do something that's a bit more interactive and has more interesting lead generation and something that's right for the Gen Z market instead of everything feeding the boomer market is starting to get a lot of interest. So, you know, I, it was tough to have to pivot here, but now that we did, we went, oh, thank God we pivoted here because we might not have addressed this market otherwise. It's very cool. So can you explain the technology that you developed that allowed you to do that pivot? Yeah, luckily we didn't have to get too far into the spatial side of it. So um, there's already a lot of wonderful companies doing, you know, spatial stuff. There's a lot of wonderful companies doing like premium avatar stuff. We didn't want to compete on that playing field. We just really wanted to nail interactivity. Okay. So how do you place interactive objects in a scene? How do you place avatars in a scene? How do you make it very simple for them to interact? So yes, you're able to create smart bubbles and they're tethered to location. Um, for the B2B market, we built out the ability for agents to curate a space much more carefully because naturally with our B2C, it's a little bit more wild westy, right? Like I shoot a video, I go chat with this person over there, I go drop in this, right? Like it's a little bit more like Facebook where it's like you can just kind of like put whatever stuff you want in it. And you don't have to like laser point like, oh, my GPS was off by 10 meters, so I got to move it over that, right? But in real estate, you do, right? Mm -hmm. If you're putting in a, a interactive object over a refrigerator that explains more information on the refrigerator, it needs to land right on that refrigerator. Okay. So we built out an entire web portal. We also built out the ability for our technology to work on the web so you don't have to download a lot of software in order to make this work. And then we just built it out so that any real estate agent can drop a link anywhere that says, hey, come join me at my virtual open house. Somebody can drop in. They put in their name and phone number and email for lead generation. They very simply have an avatar. They drop in and there is an avatar. The real estate agent then gets an alert that says, hey, somebody's touring their home. They can drop in as their avatar and say, hey, welcome to the house. What do you want to see, right? There's 
There's a video on the balcony. Make sure to check that out. It's beautiful. Hey, let's go up to the bedroom. Check out the master bedroom, right? Look at how big it is. Check out the closet, right? So we, we just made it very, very simple. We realized that a lot of agents and home buyers are not gamers and are Luddites. We wanted to make it a very complex idea, very simple. So it's as easy as just kind of like, this is how you check that out. Here's a drop-down interface in order to go to the bedroom or the living room or whatever, and then just tap around in order to view interactive objects. This is very cool. And I love that you have an actual avatar and you're able to kind of experience that open house, I guess, as if you're there in person without being there in person. Yeah, we partnered with Ready Player Me for this one because we didn't want to have to build out a whole avatar system. That could have been a company in itself. But Ready Player Me has this great technology where you just take a picture of your face and then it creates an avatar. Oh, cool. So it's as simple as taking a selfie. And then it drops you in as a pretty good replication of yourself. So we wanted to make it very, very quick because we realized that a lot of buyers don't want to spend 20 minutes making their avatar in order to drop into the scene. So it's just snap a picture of yourself, drop right in, and you're immediately chatting. Nice. Smart. Okay, so you said that the um, B2C application is still on the horizon. What are the plans for that? Yeah, so a fair amount of that is fluid based on the success of the B2B side, okay. right? So we still plan on having a fall launch for B2C, but let's let's take a best case scenario. Let's say every real estate company in the world does a deal with us and we onboard a million agents globally to build out tens of millions of properties. That That's going to set our B2C back a little bit, right? Because... <laughs> At that point, it's like, okay, this is really working. We have to really build out the feature set. Um, we, I think we would still have people with an eye on it, developers that have an eye on it, because we realize that you can parallel paths some stuff like this, but we need to stay laser-focused as well. With considering the more realistic idea, which is it will catch steam, it'll become a very nice business. There'll be a fair amount of people jumping on the real estate product, but it's not going to become overloaded with millions and millions of people accessing it every day. I just think that that's, you know, it's good to dream about, but it's unrealistic. We expect a late fall release of the B2C product. Okay. um, Which, you know, is going to be essentially a virtualized social network. So we're naturally having to tweak some stuff from real estate because it's more about friend connections. It's more about privacy. It's more about content creation. Um, but we want to make sure that we're there for the holidays so that brands can jump in, people can jump in for the holiday traffic. So this has been pretty crazy for you. I mean, you said you joined one month before COVID. And I imagine you were joining Wormhole as the company that was the kind of gaming uh, B2C metaverse company that was dealing with a lot of the stuff that you had been building up in your career to get to. And then that's a pretty rapid pivot away from, I guess, kind of your let's say your previous experience or your, your areas of expertise. How was that for you? Yeah. Yeah. I am not a B2B guy. I am not known as a B2B guy, right? Like I am a influencer first content creator first. Like that, that's the market I know really well. I know how to traffic and influence. I know social platforms. That's why they hired me. So I was hired in as the COO and then I, I ended up becoming the CEO through some transitions that the company went through. But I was essentially brought in because we had a lot of deep tech experience and they needed a go-to-market guy. Mm. And then suddenly I was brought in and said, well, we're not going to market now and we're going to B2B. So I had to learn a lot. I, I knew nothing about real estate. And now I feel like I'm 
I could, if you were to give me the real estate agent exam, I feel like I would do pretty well on it today, right? <laughs> I had to essentially do my my crash course on how how houses are sold and how the MLS database works and yada yada yada, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like all digital markets, and it's the reason why I've always worked in bleeding edge tech because I love to learn. So. I kind of look at everything as a, a new challenge and a blank slate and saying, let's get rid of all preconceived notions about how these things work and figure out where there's blue waters and where we want to fight to win and where we want to just win because we're going to be the first one there. Um, and we defined our roadmap and got really smart people in the room and we just started running, right? And that's all you can really do when you're building a company is become as smart as you can in the market and then just run as fast as you can and hope that nobody has the same idea as you at the same time as you. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate. Ben Horowitz has this kind of uh, metaphor, maybe you've heard, where he talks about CEOs as being in either peacetime or wartime. So it sounds it sounds like, uh, you know, going with that metaphor that you got dropped into uh, what pretty quickly turned into a, a, like the wartime CEO scenario you know, crazy decisions, uh, really fast. That almost existential crisis for the company quickly, and and it sounds like you guys are handling it really, really well. And I love that that metaphor too, because I feel like if if I take a step back and look at my career holistically, I've always been a wartime guy, mm -hmm. right? And part of that is because when you're working in bleeding edge tech, everything's a race, right? When, for example, at full screen, right. When I joined Fullscreen in 2012, there was really only one multi-channel network, and it was already pretty dominant. It was Machinima. Okay. However, starting up at that exact same time was this other company called Maker Studios, right? And Maker was essentially doing the same thing that we were doing with a little bit of a different angle. We were coming at it from a technical standpoint, right, where we believed that the future of influencer management and sales was going to be through tech platforms. And Maker was more of the, we're going to get it done with premium production and we're going to build out studios and we're going to be more like a movie studio. Um, Machinima was just focused on gaming, so we were going after everyone else. We were going after vloggers, lifestyle, beauty, etc. Um, and it immediately became a race, right? We were all pitching the same talent. We were pitching the same thing. It was like, how do we become this much better? And I hired a huge team very, very quickly and it was run, 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 run. At the end of the day, we both had really nice exits. It was around the same time they exited to Disney. We exited to a joint venture between AT&T and Chernin called Otter Media that then rolled into Warner Media. Like, we all did great, but it was wartime, right? Everyone at Maker was aware of what we were doing. We were aware of what everyone at Maker was doing. Broadband TV came in as a later day challenger and we knew what they were doing. And then Style Hall popped up. We knew what they were doing. And it was just like... I mean, I'm, I'm used to working those long hours, finding those value propositions and leaning into them hard. Like I live my life scrappy. So in a way, I'm excited about the, the pending metaverse wars because we know that in a certain extent for B2C, we're going to be going to head to head a little bit with Facebook. Mm -hmm. We're going to be going head to head a little bit with a lot of companies. And all we can do is just try to be a little smarter and a little scrappier and find our niche and run as fast as we can. And if we become enough of a threat to someone like a Facebook, we become an acquisition target, which is also an awesome scenario. <laughs> I love it. So who is your biggest competition? You mentioned you know, maybe Facebook is, is someone that you're watching out for. 
What other companies out there are you considering your competition? So right now, I would say we we really don't have a competition in terms of who's doing exactly what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? I think that a lot more will pop up. That's why we've been very bullish about our patent portfolio, and we've been very deliberate in terms of how our rollout strategy has been going. Um, there's a fair amount of people that are doing wonderful stuff in terms of spatial capture, like Matterport. There's a lot of people who are doing wonderful stuff on the social side, everything from games like Fortnite and Minecraft to Facebook Horizons and VR chat when you're talking about the VR side. And frankly, even when you look at what Snapchat's plans are and what Apple's plans are in terms of glasses, that starts to become interesting too. Like, do we partner or do we compete? We think we probably partner a fair amount on that because we're grabbing a lot of spatial data. We're all built in Unity 3D. We've got location-based services built in. So we think that a wormhole product on top of these hardware devices is going to make a lot of sense. In terms of direct competition, kind of nobody and kind of everybody, right? Everybody's running in the same direction for this. I think it's a matter of once we go to market, that stuff will become a bit more defined. It feels to me a bit today like the tectonic plates of the metaverse are still kind of shifting and every company wants to be involved, but it's not super clear how uh, or what is their end game yet. That's absolutely true. And frankly, I think there can be a lot of players in a lot of directions. We're a software company at the end of the Mm -hmm. day. Um, And we think that being a software company, there's going to be room for a lot of other software companies that come in. What we really want to own on the B2C side is if there's a big event happening in the world, we want to be top of mind in terms of people saying, I want to see what's happening at that event. Oh, wormhole, perfect. I can drop in and based on space and time, I can see the content that's being created there and the people that are there. And if we can really nail that, everyone else can have their virtual world fun. Everyone else can have their like, I want to drop into the Oasis and do scavenger hunts and real world things like, or and virtual world things. Very cool. There's space for that as well. But if people say, oh, I want to see what's happening at the World Cup, I'm going to drop into Snap Maps, then we know we failed. Okay. Right? We want to be the number one destination for the, the real-time spatial content curation. So it's, it's about a lot of people who are not physically located in a certain place like from let's say various places that they're actually physically located wanting to all be together in one place. Yeah, and from the other side of it, it's the people who are at that space realizing that they can become celebrities just because of their space and time. Oh, okay. If I'm at the 50-yard line of the Super Bowl, I would want to jump onto Wormhole and create a whole lot of content. So I'm going to get a ton of followers from people who are going to the Super Bowl saying, oh, what content can I consume here and who's doing it, right? So it creates a new kind of influencer where it's like, if, if somebody is experiencing FOMO and they, they have fear of missing out and they want to see a place, I'm going to want to follow the people who are out in the world doing the coolest stuff, who are creating content around it. There's really not a lot of platforms that feed into that right now, right? Like if you look at something like an Instagram, yes, it's heavily FOMO based, but a lot of it is like uh, asynchronous. Okay. Like, oh, I'm going on a private jet. People will go, ooh, that would be cool to go on a private jet. I'm going to follow this person because they've got a cool life. But you don't know where that private jet is. You don't know where they're going. You can't follow them along on their journey in the same way. Whereas within Wormhole, when people want to become public, they can show off as much as they want. They can do red carpet at the Academy Awards. 
they can do the coolest club in Las Vegas. And if people start to get to know them as being in the coolest spaces and times, then they can become a different kind of influencer. We're really excited about that part of it. I can definitely see how all of your previous experience now with with talent management and influencers, it seems like you're you're really bullish on bringing that in. Do you have any, let's say, specific plans to, I don't know, assign talent for Wormhole or, or bring in influencers in certain ways? Yeah, so we already have a lot of conversations going. Naturally, it's pending the release date of the B2C product, so we can't solidify it too much. But where influencers have been most excited is in two ways. Well, let me start with where brands have been most excited. So brands inside of this virtual world realize that there is now a ownership of spaces that happen on a platform level where you can ride along with events without partnering with an event. And what I mean by that is it might be very hard to sponsor the Super Bowl, very expensive, but within Wormhole, being able to have a plane flying around the Wormhole universe that says, brush your teeth with Colgate, becomes much more reasonable, right? You're kind of riding along with that event or the World Cup or Coachella or anything else. So it opens up this whole new avenue of brand space to do really interesting things and virtual things, right? You really could have a VIP tent at the Super Bowl right on the field where people can then tap in it and then be in a unity-based virtual world that's at the Super Bowl that's super relevant without ever talking to the Super Bowl. That's really exciting to brands. And for influencers, what they're really excited about is being able to bring attention to things like product drops Mm -hmm. or when they do live shows or VidCon, right? Being able to brag about where they are and have people join them along the way. Um, It just creates a whole new avenue for interaction that's really interesting and pretty lightweight. You know, they can kind of turn their, their public face on that, chat with some of their fans, have their fans join them there. And then they can jump out and then the fans can continue experiencing VidCon or product drops without them even there because it becomes a self-sustaining community. So it's kind of part Facebook, part Discord, part video game, and it becomes self-sustaining very, very quickly. I, I can really see how you mentioned how um, you know a conference or VidCon or something could really make use of this well. For me, I've been to, I've been to two VidCons and one of the best parts of the conference was they have a great system set up for meeting people. In, now this is in-person meeting, right? And they manage like the scheduling so that you have quick conversations and everyone knows where to be. But I can't help but think how much better that could be if you can layer on top of it, you know, that the synchronization that they, they do in person with all of the digital abilities that you can provide in wormhole, the extra information, the enrichment of it, or, or even just the ability to allow people who are there to also meet with people who aren't there. Sounds really, really promising. Yeah, I am incredibly inspired by AirDrop, which sounds so boring, but it's also so true. But the idea that you and I, because of our proximity, you can say, oh, did you just take a picture? Just AirDrop me that photo. And because of our proximity and us knowing each other, it'll say, Phil Ranta wants to AirDrop David this picture, and then it AirDrops in, right? To me, that's kind of like a fulfillment of the promise I've had since seeing Terminator 2 when I was like 10 years old. of like that Terminator vision where you can look around and it'll be like, boop, there's David's face. And then this is the information on them, right? Absolutely. Like I can imagine going to a conference and instead holding up my phone and being able to like see somebody right there. And because they're also a wormholer, it being able to say like, oh, this person is also at the conference. 
click here and then you can check out their LinkedIn profile and you can see what everybody else is doing and then jump over and be like, hey, I noticed on Wormhole that, you know, you're the CEO of Hasbro. Let me show you some of these amazing toy influencers that I work with, right? Like it makes the world so much more efficient. And if you're able to nail the, the privacy issues, if you're able to absolutely figure that part out where it's like, I can easily show who I service my information to and who I don't to make it useful for me and safe for me, which we're putting a ton of thought into naturally with a platform like this. If you can really nail that, it changes the way we do conventions, mm -hmm. right? I, I am no longer going up to everybody and trying to bravely say, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do for a living? And save me those bad conversations and instead just be able to walk up and say, hey, I know a little context about you. You know a little context about me. Let's let's figure out how we can work together. So I love that you're already thinking about very specific and, and, and realistic ways that it can be monetized and that brands can be involved. What should brands be thinking about today as they're considering the metaverse and they're hearing it starting to pop up all around them? Is there anything that brands can do today in the metaverse or something that they should be preparing for so that they're not left out? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's things you could be doing today, today, like get everybody in a conference room and start figuring it out today, today, in order to start playing along and learning with the metaverse. The number one thing you can do is go on to a metaverse company. I don't care if it's Fortnite. I don't care if it's Decentraland. I don't care what you do. Go on and make a friend and just chat with that person. Okay. Not, not somebody you know. Go into VR chat, right? And just like talk, try to have a conversation with someone. It is the most eye-opening experience you could have about why this is different than, say, Facebook. It's synchronous. You feel true presence, right? You build a deeper bond much more quickly. It even feels a little dangerous and unsafe, right? Like the first time you get into the metaverse and start having this random conversation, you're like, whoa, is this okay? Like, this is a little bit too almost intimate. I'm not used to this level of intimacy. But also, it's part of the future. So you learn about it quickly. Then once you've actually done that, start thinking about your space and navigation and how brands can play along. I like using Decentraland as an example for this because, for example, Atari bought out a lot of land. It's like a, an NFT, like crypto-backed um, metaverse. It's kind of like Second Life, but metaverse -y, right? Like Atari's already built out land and started to build branded experiences in it. Think about what it would be like for your brand to be funneled through that vision. So like... Let's say you have a really cool toothpaste company. What would your toothpaste company look like as a building? What would it look like as a piece of art? What experience would you want people to walk into it, right? Think about all the experiential stuff you've done with booths at conventions. How would that look inside of a, a Decentraland, right? Would you buy out, would you go to like all of the top NFT artists who have done things around mouths and go spend a couple thousand dollars building that and then build out a little art gallery of like of winning smiles and have that be like the Colgate but would you have that be like the Colgate gallery of great teeth within this NFT world make it like cheeky and funny or would you get like an influencer with a winning smile or a model with a winning smile to do a pop-up there right like there, there's just so many opportunities and ways you can do it and it really does bridge experiential marketing and digital marketing in an interesting and new way. Um, people who get to know this stuff now are going to be the winning CMOs of the future. So now is the time to start learning about it. 
does it also feel like there's going to be like a you know you mentioned that Atari is already buying out land, right? Is there going to be like an actual price advantage for people that are buying stuff early or building things early as opposed to waiting until everything is is already packed with their competing brands? Yes and no. So a lot of these metaverses right now are not going to be the winning metaverses of the future. Mm-hmm. So if you go spend $100,000 in Decentraland right now, is Decentraland going to be around in five years? I don't know, right? I hope so. I think Decentraland is cool. I thought it was like, but would I stake my life on it? No, your land value might drop to zero, right? It happens all the time in blockchain world. Um, so yes, you could get a price advantage now if you pick the winning pony. But if you don't pick the winning pony, then you might lose a lot of money, right? So I think right now the most important thing you can do is just learn, right? Like go in and really learn about how these spaces operate. And if you do want to make bets, make bets on the big ones, right? Like when Facebook launches a bigger metaverse, that's pretty risk mitigated, right? You mentioned NFTs a few times in the realm of the metaverse. Why are those two concepts so tightly tied together? So... Uh, NFTs are non-fungible tokens. So fungibility means that one thing and another thing that's the same have equal valuable, uh, have equal value. So non-fungibility means that I can have two things and because their serial numbers are different or whatever, they're of different values. And a token in this meaning means anything that's minted on a blockchain. So non-fungible tokens are like pieces of art or songs or any digital file that is sold on the blockchain so that it has scarcity and value. Um, Non-fungible tokens became really big this year because Top Shot, which is NBA's NFT, became a nine-figure a month business very quickly. Beeple sold an artwork for $69.3 million. So it's become like this very buzzy thing. If you think about how the metaverse functions, where it has kind of real world value assigned to digital things you need to have nfts as well um because you need to be able to have that scarcity or else i can just say have a million versions of the mona lisa inside of uh one metaverse and then all of them have no value instead you want to have one mona lisa right likewise you want to be able to buy a hat for your avatar and you want that to have scarcity you want to be able to have land that has scarcity so all of these things are nfts because that's the only way to replicate the real world. Um, So the two concepts are tied in very closely. And frankly, for brands that want to start playing the NFT world, which I think is really smart, now's the time to start learning about that too, right? It's part and parcel of learning about the metaverse. And there's a lot of brands that have done interesting things like Taco Bell with their NFT tacos. And um, I think what Space Jam 2 did by dropping a bunch of free NFTs and making a fervor around that really really smart marketing campaigns you can also do it very cheaply now there's a lot it's a frothy market there's a lot of platforms fighting for it so great time to jump into that market as well do you feel like in some cases nfts might be used as a tool as you mentioned they're a tool for creating scarcity um but in places where we don't necessarily need scarcity for for example in in the metaverse if you want to mimic the real world, sure, there's a finite amount of land on on Earth, and you can take that to a finite amount of land in a city. But I feel like one of the um, most beautiful things or, or potentially um, incredible things about the metaverse is that there isn't a finite amount of land in the digital space. Yeah, well, I, there's not a finite amount of land, but there's certainly more value to land, right? Like if your next plot is next door to Jay-Z's plot, 
then yeah, you're going to want that. That's going to be more valuable, right? And I 100% agree with you. I feel like NFT has become one of those polarizing things where either you think everything should be an NFT or you think nothing should be an NFT, right? Mm. And I think that it lies somewhere in between. Like if I'm Louis Vuitton and I'm doing like a limited line of avatar items, yeah, I want there to be that NFT layer where this is my promise to the market that there will only be 100 of these and therefore that has that value. It makes the world more vibrant and interesting. So yeah, I think that there's metaverses that will fully embrace nfts there's metaverses that will not embrace nfts at all and then there's some that will have you know a 50 50 and i'm fine with all of those i think that it's 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 like building out any digital economy within games you've got to find that right balance to make it joyous what's the best example you've seen of someone using nfts to not just for let's say to sell them for a lot of money or something but something that actually provides a lot of value to the world? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, utility-based NFTs are a big part of the future of NFTs because a lot of people will never understand this idea of like, I'm buying a JPEG that I could just download on my computer, right? Like no matter how many times crypto enthusiasts explain it to common, like regular everyday folks, there's going to be a subset of people that are like, nah, I don't get it, right? And to some extent, I kind of am in that camp where it's like, yeah, I understand being on a ledger. That's building clout within a particular community, and maybe I don't care about that community, right? So in terms of people that are building it real value, I always look to games. Mm-hmm. Because games are a natural jump for NFTs because um, people are already buying a lot of downloadable content. On Fortnite, you're already spending $20 for a Batman skin. So why not make it something that's more permanent and has resale value? And you know, So like when I'm looking at people in that market like Blanco's Block Party. They raised $75 million for their NFT-backed game. It's kind of like Fall Guys. It's like cute little characters. They're almost like Funko Pop-type characters, but they're NFTs. So you might have one of 2,000 of this NFT, and you buy it, and you can resell it, you can trade it, you can use it in the game. It has real utility, right? It's not just like clout building, but it's also you know something where it's like, this is my way of helping to fund this game in the future. I think that in gaming, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm also very interested to see the future of V Friends, Gary V's NFT, where he's using NFTs as entrees into physical and digital events. I think that's really cool. And I really hope it works out well. So I'm keeping a close eye on it. But yeah, I agree. I want my NFTs to mean something beyond just like, here, check it out, David. And you go, yeah, cool, whatever. He spent $1,000 on a JPEG, cool. Um, like I want it to have real utility and I see that as kind of the, the big part of the future. I want to ask you, how do you stay so up to date on every, it, it seems like every trend, every new company, every new technology, you're, you're deeply involved in it. How do you do it? And what advice would you have to other people to stay up to date on these on the things that matter? Yeah. So I've got three pieces of advice that I give everybody if you want to work in bleeding edge tech now or in the future. One is read everything and take everything seriously, right? Mm. Like, I feel like a lot of people will read The Verge or read TechCrunch and say, that company sounds stupid. But, like, come into it with good intentions. And try. if you read about an interesting technology, download the app, go to the website, read through it, think about what's good about it. And get excited about what's good about it, right? Like, I remember when I first read about Snapchat, 
I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. I'm like, what? Things go away after 24 hours? Ugh, like, stupid. Then I downloaded it, I started using it, and I went, oh, wait a second. This is a way for kids to share messages that they don't want their parents to know about. Oh, my God, now I get it. And frankly, that's why Snapchat is still popular today, is because it's still the social network that feels a little bit more private than other social networks, Mm -hmm. right? So... It wasn't until I really put it in my hands and started using it that I got it, got it. Same for TikTok. Like, it was very easy to write off as like, ah, just another Vine. And then you started using it and went, oh my God, I get it. It's like Vine, but even easier to create, even easier to flip through, even easier to see what trending hashtags there are, even easier to find trending songs. Like, it's easier Vine, and it helps with discovery, right? So yes, read a lot and take everything seriously. Two is become a creator. And what I mean by that is whatever a platform is built for, try it. Try, try to experience it like a creator as well as a customer. Um, try to get 1,000 followers on LinkedIn. Try to build a successful board on Pinterest. You learn so much more doing that than you would from just like experiencing it as a consumer. And then number three is realize that culture is king queen and jester you don't have to understand things everything sounds funny and ridiculous at first but also it rules us with an iron fist and also rules us with a soft touch right so um try to ride along with culture try to laugh at culture try to have fun don't take it too seriously but also realize the power of culture and if you're able to do that with like open eyes and an open heart and an open mind you will be so far ahead of the curve like, a lot of people laughed off NFTs early this year. And frankly, I, I had to block a couple people on LinkedIn because I was posting so much about NFTs. And people were literally DMing me saying, you are the worst kind of person. It's ruining the environment. It's, people are going broke with it. It's all a big scam. And they would go and comment. And <laughs> it's a lot of people with pretty big following said some pretty hateful stuff. And I'm very fast to block because I'm like, I just can't have that in my life block 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 right but the reason why i'm still bullish about it is because it's like yes there's problems with it yes of course there's problems with every new technology when i worked at facebook facebook is a highly problematic company and if you go into it thinking that it's all roses then you're missing the bigger picture which is yes there's problems here and we can be the ones to help solve those problems and define the future And if you realize that this is a not just a one company problem, but global problems and things we'll have to contend with in the future in big ways, and you become part of the solution and not part of the problem, that's when you can really be cutting edge and start leading. Because you acknowledge the problems, you solve the problems. That's what we do as futurists. So yes, don't write anything off. Ride along with it. Realize it's valuable and important, and then try to solve those issues. I just love the advice to look at everything really from a positive and optimistic standpoint first, it sounds like, and uh, to give it a chance. We're talking about NFTs now and, and things that are, are fairly recent, but I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are writing off uh, Bitcoin and a, a lot of technology, Facebook before that, and a lot of technologies that uh, today, you know, you would be hard pressed to find someone who's writing it off anymore especially in tech (laughs) like tech more so than any other industry you will run into so many people who say no that's stupid that's great or i knew that was great or that was stupid before they even launched and it's like if they're thinking that they're going into it the wrong way right 
Like go in thinking everything is great and let them prove you wrong, right? Because if you do that, then it's like if you're rooting for everybody and you're cheering them on, you're helping them as much as possible, then you become part of their success instead of a passive viewer of their success. Yeah, that's said perfectly. <laughs> well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation and I feel like we covered a lot of topics here and unpacked a lot of things. Um, my last question for you is, is where can our listeners uh, catch you? You can find me at Phil Ranta on all social platforms. I'm most active on LinkedIn. So you can just search Phil Ranta, R-A-N-T-A. Um, and you can check out more about Wormhole at wormholelabs.com. And we're going to be watching that very closely. I think a lot of the ideas you talked about today are very, very exciting for brands, for creators. Uh, and we're really looking forward to see where you take it. Well, thanks again, Phil. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leaders Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about what's trending in the online sphere, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our weekly newsletter at thoughtleaders.io. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts to stay tuned for the next episode. This podcast was hosted by David Tintner, edited by and produced by me, Noam Yadin.